Good evening, uh, everybody. Uh, welcome to this LSE Ideas uh, Organized uh, Public Discussion. Let me just at first introduce myself. My name is Professor Michael Cox. Uh, I'm down here as the chair of the London School of Economics. That's a, a promotion I didn't know I'd received, but that's very nice to know. Somebody ought to tell Craig Calhoun. Um, I'm actually a, a, one of the co-directors of LSE Ideas, uh, which I've been very pleased to run with uh, my co-conspirator Arnie Westad, who is not here this evening but sends his apologies. Today we have been uh, having a wonderful discussion uh, here at the LSE in a seminar form with about 30 or 40 experts thinking not just about the European Union in general but about Southern Europe in particular, here defined as uh, the Southern European countries of Portugal, Spain, Italy and Greece. Um, this discussion here this evening will broaden the debate out to look at the European Union in, in, in more general terms. And I'm absolutely delighted uh, to welcome here uh, this evening two of the key figures who have been involved in Europe in different forms and in different ways and at different times and with each other over the last uh, few years. Dr. Xavier Solana, President of ESADE, Centre for Global Economy and Geopolitics in Barcelona and Madrid, I think, and of course uh, Professor Robert Cooper, who is also a visiting professor here at LSE Ideas. I don't need to say too much about the two speakers. I think they are well enough known. Long and distinguished careers in public diplomacy, uh, long and distinguished contributions to the debate about uh, Europe and about NATO. I'd also add that Dr. Xavier Solana was awarded an honorary degree in December 2010 at, at the school. Uh, Robert Cooper joined the Foreign Office in 1970 with several posts both in Germany and in Japan, a well-known public intellectual and the author of two influential studies on the modern world, the postmodern state and world order and the breaking of nations. I can't believe we could have two better speakers and to welcome you and could you give an LSE welcome to Dr. Xavier Solano who will begin the debate on the EU in the eye of a storm. Xavier, over to you. Thank you, thank you very much uh, for the invitation. Thank you very much to the, to the school and to the ideas uh, department. I'm very happy to be back uh, in London and be back at the LSE. I try to come at least uh, once uh, every semester and I'm glad that I have the opportunity to, to have a conversation with you about a fascinating topic nowadays which is the situation of the European Union at this point in time. I will try to say a couple of words about the past. I will say a few more about the present. And I will devote most of the talk about the future. Let me start about a few words about the past. I mean, being as I am a convinced European, I think the construction of the European Union continues to be today of one of the most important uh, architectural constructions in the world, and no doubt uh, that after the Second Great War. But I think that uh, the effort that had was made at that time by the founding fathers of the European Union under the fantastic vision that a group of countries that have been very important in history, that have created beautiful cathedrals, beautiful music, beautiful poetry, but they descend 
to the lowest places that a man can lower to do harm to another man. We have been the exporters of the two most important wars in history, with millions of people killed. That is a responsibility that says upon the shoulders of the Europeans historically, not about the Europeans of today. But the vision of those people who decided that never again will be a war of that characteristics in the soil of the Europeans, in the soil of Europe, that as we know, were from the soil of Europe became global wars. So this is a beautiful story. The story of how people, intelligent people, people with leadership, very needed leadership that we may not have today as we did have at that time, with vision, with capacity to put wills together to construct it, and by a methodology that was a methodology that was always guided by the word consensus, adding wills and trying not to get separation. And we got the European Union, this beautiful building, that took some time, time to grow and to develop. And uh, when we came about uh, the year 2005, we knew that another important step had to be taken forward, a little bit before 2005. And we tried at that time, and I was in office at that time, to construct a, what we call a constitution of the European Union. Very ambitious, very ambitious objective. And was a little bit too, too ambitious for the time, and so we failed. We were not able to construct that constitution. And you know, we had first a referendum in France, followed by a referendum in the Netherlands uh, that said, well, we are not ready for that yet. But let me say something that I remember very well, very vividly, but explains a lot of things. At that time, in the Constitution, we wanted to touch just about every pillar of the construction of the building, with the exception of one, which I remember very well walking in the, in the main building in the European Union. The, at that time, the representative of the Convention for the Constitution from Germany, who said very clearly, we can touch just about everything is in front of us, with one exception. We cannot talk about the possibility of having an economic union. Anything that has to be related with the economy or the structure of the economy, the governance of the economy, will be out of the Constitution. 2003-2004. It failed in 2005. But that uh, gives you an idea of how, when we wanted to put up to the date the institutions of the European Union, we had already one country, not a minor country, a very important country that say, well, it's not time to touch yet the situation of the economic structure. Well, 2008, the Lehman Brothers arrived. We had the euro, but we didn't have the structures ready to handle the crisis collectively in the European Union. And uh, we know the consequences of that. A broad, uh, profound division between the northern countries of the European Union and the southern parties of the European Union. The way in which the crisis had tackled by the north and the south has been different because we are different the conditions in which we enter into the crisis. And so here we are. Here we are still without being able 
to resolve profoundly and seriously the problems of the north and the south of the European Union, what means uh, to solve the problems of the creditors and non-creditor countries, creditor countries in the north and the others in the south. A lot of things uh, has been done in order to resolve or trying to resolve that uh, problem. And one of the things that to my mind, um, and I'm talking as a very convinced European, most of my adult life and political life has been devoted to Europe, therefore I will not say anything that will be anti-European because I believe in that. And, but I said that uh, we made some mistakes at the beginning of the solution of the crisis. The idea that the southern part of Europe had to be resolve their economic problem through only one medicine, I do think there was a mistake. The idea that all the southern countries have to go through a process of austerity, I think it was a mistake. And if we were to do it again, probably the situation or the, the manner in which we resolve those problems would have been different. But that is part of history and history has not been changed. And why to my mind it was so important, not only economically, but also politically. Economically it was very important because the austerity in a depression really leads to more austerity, to more uh, depression, to more recession. And uh, that's what we see today, and uh, every economic uh, thinker will say that this is the case. But that is what's very important, I said, not only economically, because the level of unemployment in those countries continues to go up. All the effort that those countries are doing do not produce growth. They don't produce a solution to the crisis they have, but also politically. We said at the beginning of the crisis that uh, we had to come from out of this crisis with a Europe which was more united and more politically integrated. If you want a Europe more united and more politically integrated, you need the legitimacy to have following you the citizens of the European Union. What has happened? Well, due to these very tough measures that have been taken on the austerity, what has happened, not, not only in the south, but also in the northern part of Europe, some countries of the north, the disaffection of a majority of people, or at least a great number of people of the European Union, with the European institution and the European idea, has been growing. And therefore, what we wanted to have, an outcome of the, from the crisis, with more European integration and therefore more European Union, we had that we look back and the people who were to follow us were not following us. On the contrary, they were disaffected, they were sad, they were not understanding the situation in which they were living. So mm, the type of medicine that has been applied to resolve the crisis has had consequences which are economic, but also very important consequences which are political. And to those political I will go to refer later on. Because I think that if we want really to outcome, to get a good outcome of this situation, we need a political union, deeper, more enthusiastic, with more vision, and the moments in which we are living, in a world which has changed immensely from the moment that we started the construction of the European Union, no doubt, but even from the year 2010, when we when the crisis started. Look at the world of today. Uh, today we have uh, members of the European Union, about four members of the European, among the ten most important economies of the world. 
Ten years from today, we will have three. Twenty years from today, we will have two, etc. It will be a moment, not very far away, in which no single country of the European Union will be among the most important economies of the world, among the ten. A moment to, to, to think of what I said. It's very important what I have said. Imagine a world in which among the ten most important European, uh, economies of the world, none of them will be European. Conclusion to of that sentence, if we do want to continue to be a relevant group of people in the world. And I think we do. We do want, and I think the world likes to have a European United. I have traveled for, for, around the world, I don't know how many, for many years and many kilometers, many countries, many countries and many times the same countries. And I will never forget uh, being once in an Asian country, a very important Asian country, and I was talking to the president of that country, and I said, well, are you happy where you were born? That's life, uh, yes. If you were born in some other place in the world, where would you like to be born? No doubt, in Europe. So therefore, still Europe, for many people, has a tremendous appeal. Tremendous appeal, which we have to use it properly, because as I said, is demand of European Union thinking and action in the world. And I don't think that today we are up to the responsibilities that we have in the world. And that is our responsibility to do it better for the benefit of the European citizens, but also for the benefit of the world. Let me say that uh, while they said that uh, the lack of enthusiasm or the lower of the enthusiasm by the people, basic people of the European Union, because we have not handled the crisis properly. Uh, of course, for us, it would have been very difficult, not impossible, to do something that the United States has done, political stimulus, uh, but it was very different from the situation of the European Union, and exactly the same could not have been done. But probably something more close to that idea uh, could have been done, and something also, an idea of doing before, or tackling before the financial sector, the modification of the banking system that they did in the United States more rapidly and better than we did it in Europe. But in any case, I'm not going to enter into the economy. Uh, you are here, you know a lot about that. But let me continue on the politics. The second thing that happened is that uh, since we didn't have the appropriate structures to solve the problems of the economic uh, crisis, we didn't have... Uh, we had a single currency, we didn't have a treasury, uh, we didn't have uh, many of the things which are necessary to have a balanced uh, economic uh, governance. We tried to break the rules of the game in the, within the European Union, in a way. The European Union would like to do things with the method, with the European method. We don't have only an intergovernmental entity. It's more than that. It has a commission that has a capacity of proposal in order to get the countries to vote and discuss those proposals. But the initiative is for the commission to put it on the table. So that methodology, since we didn't have the structure appropriate, appropriate for those uh, uh, ideas, for those, uh, solving those problems, uh, they were being resolved basically in an intergovernmental manner. And that being done in intergovernmental manner is 
walking back in history towards a more intergovernmental European Union, which is not what the, father, the founding fathers wanted. So we have gone in a sense, in a, in a manner, going back from what the process of integration took place. And therefore we have, as I said before, we wanted to get out of the crisis with more Europe and more political Europe. And uh, for that you need the legitimacy that the people support that idea. And therefore you have to look back and see your followers coming back and supporting you and pushing you to go further. But you don't have that sentiment that people are behind you. Therefore, something we have done wrong, because we wanted to come out with more Europe, with more citizens more convinced, and we have the citizens less convinced. Now, what uh, can we do about that? Well, I think we have a, a lot of things that can be, do, can be done about that. First, to have a, an important debate about how, where, or what were the reasons of that, and we are looking to the past, into the present, but let me look a little bit about the future. Let me uh, tell you that uh, the European Union has today a fantastic responsibility in the coming year and a half. We are today in 2013. In the year 2014, we are going to have a very important responsibility which is to have elections, the first elections after the crisis for all the countries of the European Union will be parliamentary elections for the Parliament, European Parliament after the crisis and whatever is the result of those uh, general elections, parliamentary elections within the European Union, every country of the European Union the same day, it will determine what is going to be the Europe of the future. And uh, I want to claim that this is our obligation of the sensible people of the European Union who believe in the European Union to put all the effort so that this period of time that goes to the elections or the parliamentary election in 2014 do go or we have the appropriate debate so that we have a legitimacy which today probably the people don't feel that they have it. So, I am going to, to, to devote all this time that has to the, that is left to the elections to do the utmost to have that, those elections really as legitimate as possible and carrying behind a debate that mobilizes most of the citizens, or a good many of the citizens of Europe, to get uh, a Europe uh, looking to the future with much more attention than we have today. It's probably one of the challenges that we have. Uh, and I am going to say this with a little bit of, I wouldn't say dramatic uh, voice, but with dramatic feeling. Whatever we are able to get out of those elections in 2014 will mark a lot the future of the European Union. And therefore, the role of the European Union in the world, and therefore how we will contribute to solving the problems of the world. So it's an important moment. An important moment requires, or requires enormous leadership, important leadership, important courage, important determination, and important vision. And what is more important, probably, a good number of different conversations going on until we get into that moment among different people and the citizens of the European Union. So I would like very much to put at the center of our debate this topic, because to my mind it's fundamental. And I will ask uh, humbly to LSE 
to put uh, these debates on the, on the table, uh, on the LSE ideas, because it's a very important issue, not only, as I said, for the Europeans, for the world, etc. Okay, having said that, let me go a little bit to the future, and to the, to the future of the European Union, how it would be, but before going into that, let me go into some of the responsibilities that uh, Europe has, not only internally, but also externally in a world that, as I said before, has changed immensely. Now, today, the G8, as you know, uh, several of the G8 members, the majority of the G8 members, are from the European Union. That means that continue to be the most important economies. Uh, in a very few years, uh, none of the, as I said before, none of the countries of the European Union, the Australian G8, will be really uh, honestly members of the E8. In fact, we can invent in a minute another group of seven countries that I will call instead of G, eight or eight countries, I call it E, emerging, which added their GDP will be bigger than the G7 of today. And it's very simple to do it. You can take two in, uh, in Asia, China and India, you can take two in South America, Brazil and Mexico. Take two from the Arab world, or the Muslim world, Indonesia and Turkey. And put on top of that to make eight Russia, which is an emerging declining country. Or declining emerging country. <laughs> yeah, but you put it together, you have, you have another completely different structure of power in the world. And as, as we can imagine, we cannot continue thinking that we are the owners of the world and the governors of the world when there are others which are as big as we are and as important as we are, and we have to see how we adapt to that. And I think that there is when the European Union has an important role to do. A European Union developed solid with one voice, with one message to the world of today in the world that uh, I have described. The Chinese, they don't uh, like very much uh, the G2 to have a relationship only with the big power of the United States. They would rather have uh, a more, uh, more uh, ample combination and probably for them, you ask them uh, seriously, they answer you seriously, which Sometimes that doesn't happen, but sometimes it happens really you have a serious conversation. They would like the one of the things they would like more to have in this world is a European Union with a voice, with a role to with a clear idea what is the role they have in the in the to play in the world, that would be way much better than having a world of G three, of of G two, of other configuration that one can invent. So we have a possibility of being as I said before of having demand of our view, of our structures, our way of doing things. And um, when I say um, ways of doing things, it's also very important for a country to find his identity, not only how he does things at home, but also how projects to the external world their behavior. There's no doubt that the essence of the United Kingdom is not only the democracy that is uh, the in the country, the two-party system today, or the three-party system today, Westminster, etc., but also very important, the way they acted 
in the world when they were a big power. And that defines the United Kingdom, no doubt. Now, the European Union is not only defined by the structure we have inside, but by the way we act outside. And that defines also who you are. And I can tell you that uh, in the spirit that we have had, we have acted outside the European Union politically, and sometimes also with missions of uh, peacekeeping, peacemaking, etc. And uh, I have the sentiment, I think you will have the same sentiment, that we did with a, in, a, in a manner, in a fashion, with a detail, with the values that were well accepted, well accepted by the people you were trying to help. And um, that is what is lacking now. We are so concentrated with the crisis, and we should, no doubt about that, that uh, we are not acting proportional to what uh, people in the world expect from us. We have uh, some exceptions. And I think one of the sections which is more important is an important thing, an important question which is on the table today, which is the problem of Iran, for instance. On Iran, the European Union continues to be a very important player. The fact that uh, the P5 plus Europe uh, had been negotiating during a long time, and I hope that now we open another opportunity to move on uh, with President Rouhani. And the European Union is very engaged on that, uh, on that negotiation and, 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 in fact, is leading those negotiations. But still, there are many other things we are not doing. And we are not doing very close to our neighborhood. For instance, we are not acting properly, I think, with the Mediterranean, the, the African, North African countries, all the way up to Egypt, etc., etc., including Syria. I think on that part of the world, in which is our neighborhood, in which we should be much more engaged, in which we should give much more help, political, military if necessary, but also economic and aid, we are not up to the question. And we are not up to the question because we have not solved still the debate that we have in front of us about how we get out of the crisis. We are so concentrated on the crisis that we have forgotten other things that we have obligations to do. Now, uh, having said all this, I'd like to, 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 to go back to the future and um, insist once more that we have an opportunity with the election that we have in the year 2014 uh, to get out of this situation a little bit encapsulated, not contributing to the growth of the world as we should. We have been during this, this decade practically contributed to the world growth practically zero. It's not uh, fair, really. Uh, not today, we are still practically on zero. The United States begin to grow a little bit more. This, the outlook of the IMF says that we will grow at 1%, uh, roughly. The United States, close to 3 and the emerging countries will lower a little bit. But uh, still, the, the proportion of the growth, that the contribution of the growth from the European Union is very small. Being the most important economy today in size. Still, the biggest economy in the world today is the European Union. It's the most important growth, important, not in growth, it's more important as far as GDP, the most important exporter, etc., 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 bigger than anybody else. And we are contributing very little to the growth of the, of the world of today because of the divergences that we have inside the European Union as such is a very balanced uh, country, if you put it as a country, but inside has very profound disagreements, dis, uh, 
and equilibrium, disequilibrium that we have to fix. So this is the challenge that we have in front of us. And um, what I would like to communicate to you, younger generation, we are from, you are citizens from all over the world, that um, the European Union is going to try uh, to get the house in order, and is going to try to overcome these difficulties, is going to do the utmost to have a good debate from here to the elections, to have the elections in an appropriate manner, and to really look the future with the same eyes that we were, we were to look, or we looked in the past, but to the world of today. If you were to ask a young European today what is the reason to be European, probably the answer will be because in a globalized world, in a world in which we are living, in the world with the parameters I described a minute ago, if we want to maintain a wage for the European Union, we need to be united. No single country can resolve the problems of today alone. Imagine the numbers of the countries of the European Union divided. So therefore, the, the unity of the European Union today, for somebody which is young, is not the war of the past. It's like uh, for, uh, um, for a young person in Europe, the, 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 the Second Great War belongs to the real past history. So we have to offer something for the future. And that uh, is uh, the message that we have to the leaders of the European today they should be able to communicate to the, to the citizens of the European Union. And for those of you which are not members of the European Union, have the certainty that you will have in the journey for the future, you will have the good company of a European Union in good shape. And that is the will of a majority and guarantee you, I cannot guarantee you, but my wishful thinking is that it will be a reality. And be sure that a lot of people are going to work from here to the next elections in a manner that will mobilize the European community, the European Union, and have a big debate, a good debate, and get the new European Union after the crisis, with the suffering that crisis has supposed, look into the future with adaptation necessary inside, with the debates necessary inside. We need a lot of debates. We need a debate about the welfare state, we know the debate of energy, we have many debates, and uh, we will solve those, so we will begin to solve them, and we will come out, uh, out uh, by the year 2014. In good shape. And uh, history is very uh, capricious sometimes. Those elections I've been talking about the year 2014. Well, that brings not to my memory, because I was not alive at that time, but that brings me back to a very fundamental year for Europe as a territory, which was 1914. Nazi-14 was the first global war. We started here, in Europe, that was global, and that uh, had an enormous number of casualties. Probably the most dramatic war that the history has had. And that was responsibility of the Europeans. I would like very much that 100 years after 2014, which is next year, we will be able to give an answer to the problems of the world, which is really uh, looking forward and uh, up to the, the demands that I think the world has on the European citizens, and never to go back into the direction 
that 1914 brought about. Remember that uh, it was the times uh, were dramatic. From that, it came on the patterns of nationalism. Terrible things that happened from the First World to the Second World, and then the Second World. So, uh, without getting sentimental to the past, uh, let me get sentimental about the future, or visionary about the future. Um, I hope very much that the next time we come here, that will be in 2014, you will invite me, we will say a celebration <laughs> that uh, all these things have been in the right direction to be in this show. Thank you very much uh, for this, uh, for giving me the opportunity to share with you, to have this conversation among intelligent people, because I think we are going to have a debate, it will continue, and you will contradict what I have said. Thank you very much. Uh, and now, uh, Robert Cooper. Robert, please. Well, one of, the <clears throat> one of the great things about working for Javier Solana uh, was that you never knew what was going to happen next, uh, and you never knew really what he was going to say. Um, a discussant is normally supposed to disagree, and maybe I will find one thing to disagree with later on. But first, let me, let me echo one or two of the things that I, that I profoundly agree with. First of all, I share, I share Javier's uh, European patriotism in the sense that um, there is, I'm, please excuse me, those of you who are from other continents, but I'm sorry, there is nothing that beats Europe. Uh, from the point of view of maybe somebody can uh, ask a rude question later or, but I'm sorry but when you, when you think through um, uh, the renaissance the enlightenment, the industrial revolution the invention of the scientific method, the invention of the rule of law um, Aristotle Copernicus, Leonardo Beethoven, Rembrandt, Kant many others, too many to name I don't think there's anybody else who, who, has, who has that record. But as Javier said also, but actually this record came out of a kind of competitive European society, of uh, competitive, of competing states and competing families, uh, a competition which uh, most of the time also took the form of war. Um, uh, uh, indeed in the in the 18th century, I think there was one year when there was not a major European war going on. Um, and as the centuries went on, the frequency of wars became less, but the intensity of wars became more, uh, climaxing with, with, with World War I uh, and with World War II. Um, and, then, uh, and then we have uh, a last burst, at last a burst of political creativity in the creation of the European Union. I, I was not myself, uh, I was not wild about the Nobel Prize Committee awarding the Nobel Prize to the European Union because <laughs> I think that institutions are boring um, and the European Union is a particularly boring institution and prizes ought to be awarded for uh, people who de do heroic things. Um, but I said to myself, we should think of this prize 
not as a prize for the bureaucrats of Brussels, of which I was one. Javier was not a bureaucrat. Javier was something else. Um, uh, uh, we should think of this as a rather late prize for Schumann, Monet, um, and actually for me the other important founder of the European Union was Dean Acheson. The Americans, it wouldn't have happened without them. But think of it as a prize for those people who I think were, uh, were political heroes. Um, but then comes the problem that Javier described. The, the European Union was in some sense a Cold War construction. And the other founder of the European Union that you can add to, human Monet, to Schumann, Monet, and I would add Acheson, the other hero of the European Union was Stalin, who also played, made a great contribution to the, uh, to the uh, consolidation of Europe, partly through NATO, because without NATO, I don't think the European Union uh, would, have, would have come about. Um, uh, but it was a Cold War construction. Um, and the, hence, we had at the end of the Cold War, there was a kind of crisis in the European Union, or a potential crisis. And what was disappointing in this was that uh, there were still people, what it was 45 years uh, after, the, after the end of World War II, there were still people who didn't trust Germany, I know because I worked for one of them. Um, and, uh, and out of this came the idea that somehow uh, we were going to tie Germany down by inventing economic and monetary union because the DMARC was too strong and if it was shared then that would be okay and somehow this has turned out to be uh, it's, I think that the phrase of Hegel is about the, the, uh, the sneakiness, the list der Vernunft, the the, the sneakiness of reason, but actually it's the sneakiness of history. This is the revenge of history on the people who thought that Germany was not to be trusted and the way to stop German domination was to create an economic monetary union because it seems to have had exactly the opposite result. <laughs> uh, the, um, but but and, and here we have the problem that Javier poses, that actually to escape from the trap that we have built for ourselves, we need to have a political union. But can a political union be created by people sitting round tables in Brussels declaring that there should be a political union? Um, uh, and this, after all, for me, is the problem of economic and monetary union, that the, this was a, an idea from a, from a drawing board. It was an enlightenment project. And the political, if that's difficult with an economic union, it's even more difficult with a political union. How do you create that just by deciding you're going to have it? Political union needs some flesh and blood somewhere in, in, in Europe. Uh, and I'm not sure that I, that I see that yet. Um, and so Javier made his, made his call to arms for the European, uh, for the European elections. Um, and this is the point, I agree with the call to arms, because I think in different ways uh, everybody should, um, uh, the European Union is one of those things which you won't know what you've got till it's gone. Uh, it's something which is taken for granted, but take it away and Europe will look very, very, very different. And therefore, uh, preserving and strengthening the European Union is something which everyone in Europe has a stake in. 
Um, uh, whether we will be able to do that by uh, fighting in the European elections for the election of uh, uh, sensible people as opposed to idiotic people, I don't know. Because I have a, I have a, I think myself, and here is where I do dif disappear, disagree with Javier a bit. I think that the European Union is a wonderful construction, and I think that all the institutions need to be cleaned dramatically. Uh, I, I, find, uh, I find the way in which the Commission operates sometimes uh, over-bureaucratic and stultifying. Um, uh, the, the Council uh, lacks, it seems, most of the time a kind of a common feeling and some kind of real uh, inspiration. Uh, the, um, uh, the court, uh, personally, I find rather um, questionable. It's not fashionable to question courts. It's supposed to be a bad thing to do. But if you ask me, I find some of the judgment it makes rather strange. Uh, and the European Parliament, which ought to be, which his claim is that it's a democratic institution, it's a democratic voice of Europe, and it contains some absolutely admirable people, it doesn't really connect with the people very much. Uh, and there's a real problem there. And I think that, but, that I think we ought to take the European Union sufficiently seriously to want to make the institutions better. Uh, and I'm not very convinced by them at the moment. So I think that a great cleaning and the debate. Maybe the European Parliament elections is the place to start that debate. Uh, but, um, uh, so that's my one, I think, my one disagreement. And then um, to, to finish on what, where Javier finished about uh, Europe in the world, I think it does play. It has played a constructive role in the world. Above all, by not causing any more world wars, given that it played <laughs> the most destructive role actually uh, not fighting each other is a major contribution to world security, given that we were extremely good at fighting. Um, and I think we have done some good in the neighborhood. We can maybe do more. I think that the European Union, including Javier personally, has actually done good in the Balkans. The results of the, ninth, the wars of the 90s are better than the results of the war of 1913. Um, uh, uh, and there's more good to do. Um, and he's right that there is a role for Europe in dealing with Iran. And actually the next round of talks, which begins, the tomorrow. very interesting round of talks, begins tomorrow in Geneva. It will take time. Um, but uh, I think there is a role we can play, and I think that we've done a lot, but we can do, we can do more. Um, but I wanted just to finish with one, with one comment, which later on maybe Javier can take as a question. And he said that we could do more for um, the countries of uh, the Arab world, of North Africa, where the, um, uh, where the Arab Spring began and perhaps the European response has uh, not been uh, as much as some hoped. Um, uh, and he said there's more we can do politically and economically. And economically I understand but the question is what can we do politically? Because the problems of these countries are primarily political problems. The Arab Spring, um, it was partly a reaction to, to economic failure, um, but it was above all a reaction to political failure in these countries. 
And it has always seemed to me that just as poetry is the bit that you can't translate from one language to another, politics is the bit which foreigners can't do. Um, and yet, I, I sympathize with Javier's um, emphasize on politics as the thing that is needed. And I remember once uh, seeing him write or speak, or I think it was an answer to a journalist, when somebody had said, um, had been talking about the use of the bond powers in the Balkans. And Javier answered by saying, well, I'm against powers. I don't think that powers do anything. I think that the way in which you deal with bad politics is by good politics. Um, and personally, I strongly agree with that. I think always one should look for political solutions. The question is, how do you do that in other people's countries with other people's politics? So there I stop. Okay, uh, what we're going to do is just open up as quickly as possible to questions and hopefully we will provide some answers. Uh, where are the microphones? Microphones, where are you? Ah, uh, good. Perhaps you can give it to our former director, Tony Giddens. I, I couldn't but ask you first, Tony. Tony Giddens, yeah. Well, I'm not the director any longer. No, but I know. I, I used to be the director of the IOC. Um, can I ask the speakers about what they make of the role of Germany as Europe's indispensable nation? Because Angela Merkel is de facto, it seems to me, the president of Europe. She is the person to everyone must turn to if they want to get anything done. Now, if and when she forms a government, she says, or seems to say, that Germany will not change its policy. That seems to me impossible. It seems to me a German Europe is inherently unstable. So, what can other European leaders do to persuade the Germans to accept, to me, the responsibilities they have towards the alien economies of Europe? That's not just a question, I think, of releasing them from a certain amount of austerity, it's recognizing that the Eurozone simply can't succeed unless it has some measure of overall economic solidarity. Thanks, Tony. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll go straight into that one. You've got, a, you've got five minutes to solve the German question. <laughs> Do you want to... Uh, Xavier, why don't, why don't you start and answer to Tony's uh, question? So. Okay. okay. Thank you, Tony. You have uh, presented a question in a such a crude uh, manner, I will be to, I try to be crude in the answer also, trying to give you the answer. I think that uh, Germany is the most important country in Europe today. There's no question. Look at the figures, look at the weight it has in the international institution, etc. But uh, I agree with you that uh, a, a German Europe is not sustainable uh, in the way that you have described. And uh, my hope, my expectation, and um, not my information, because I don't have it, that uh, although right after the elections the response was that uh, nothing is going to change, regardless of what is the coalition, it will be a different coalition. And the part of the coalition will be the Social Democrats, which are much more inclined towards a more integrated European Union. Of course, the, um, in the midst of a negotiation with a new partner to be part of the, of the coalition, you are not going to change your policy. Uh, but we will see. We will see what happens. And I, I 
tend to think that in the third uh, period in which he is chancellor, probably the last, Angela Merkel, coming from the East, being the first chancellor from the East, she will not will like to go down into history, not doing the utmost to save that beautiful building that was created in a very good part by Germany for Germany. So I really have the sentiment that this has to change. They are intelligent people. And one night I've been visiting them already and you don't get, uh, Merkel is it's a very prudent uh, politician. Never had said anything that uh, was uh, even at the limit of what she could say. She was being very prudent and very cautious, etc. But um, when things have to be done, I think she will do it. Now, what the others have to do? Huh? The others have to do their job. And uh, they, it's, it's not easy to go to Germany and say, well, do your job and I don't do mine. So everybody has to do their job. But if we do their job, everybody does their job. And we go and we have uh, uh, a good uh, um, type of meetings that we are losing the, 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 the efficiency, the efficacia, how you say, the, 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 no, the efficiency of how they do uh, with a commission that comes out of the new uh, parliamentary election and uh, much more uh, equilibrium in the role that everybody plays, I think that will be seen a moment in which uh, the Germany that we, that you dream of, that I dream of, it will be realized. And there's the same Germany, believe it, that Germany, the same European Union that Germany has in mind. I have no doubt about that. Now, let me say a word because uh, um, answering a little bit to yeah. to to, to Robert, I mean, to answer to Robert is very difficult. Robert is uh, the most intelligent collaborator that I have in my life. I mean, uh, we worked wow. together, I don't know how many years, seven, or I don't wow. know how many, eh? and we did uh, wonderful things together. But um, I'm, I'm trying to, to answer to you because when I said that these European um, elections, parliamentary elections, are very important because for the first time the elections of the, to the parliament are going to be elected at the same time for the two big uh, political, or all the political formations in the parliament, European parliament, the candidates for the presence of the European Union, but of the European Commission. So our votes are going to be very important to determine who is going to be the next. Uh, so it's a very important, for the first time we have an election in the European Union that carries water in the sense of the other institutions. And that is part of the process of legitimation that we have to continue doing in the construction of the European Union. This is one step. And that's what I put so much importance on this first step of the year 2014. Robert, do you want not Well, just to say two words. First of all, um, the, the one thing I think we can be sure about in German policy is if they've done what they do in the past, they will go through whatever red lines they set. Because in the end, the preservation of the euro is still the priority and they therefore do whatever has to be done. Um, uh, unfortunately, it's often done backwards, too late, too slow, and all of those things. So I don't think we need worry too much about she said she won't change her policy. I bet she will. But the bit that I, I really liked 
was the title of Angela Merkel as President of Europe because actually she's very smart and the real pity is that she is not the President of Europe. If, <laughs> if, and I think if you could bring together the enormous intelligence, to my mind she's head and shoulders above almost everybody else there, if you could bring together uh, that intelligence and, yet, and then put it in charge of the whole of Europe, uh, with the authority of Germany behind it, maybe that would really do something. So maybe she doesn't complete her ter term as Chancellor. And, uh. <laughs> okay, we've solved the German question. Can we move on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a lady here, please. Yeah. Oh, perhaps we just asked the German question. <laughs> please. Okay, yeah. my question is larger than your German question. Um, so, it's fine? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would like to caught Jean Monnet before asking my question, as he said, which is important is not being optimistic or pessimistic, but is being determined. So here we are very optimistic and it's very kind, it's very nice. But I'm afraid that in Europe we are not determined anymore or we, I have feeling that we have this lack of dream about the Europe of 2060s. So my question is, what is your dream of Europe, European Union? of 2060s. What is your utopia of Europe? I think after then we can discuss how we will reach this utopia. But I just want to hear crazy utopias about the Europe of 2060s. Uh, okay. I only thought Goldman Sachs made predictions. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a couple more. Sorry to Goldman Sachs. Uh, come on, any more over here? Anybody want to, any other questions? Yeah, right. no, the gentleman here in the middle, yeah, with the beard. Yeah, got you. Yeah. Right, good. Um, you both agree that one of the most important things that the European Union needs to do is to engage with, with its neighbourhood and with countries that it can influence politically. However, we've basically agreed that Germany is probably the most powerful country in Europe and it's the one country that constantly shies away from influencing international um, political events partly because of its history and I was wondering if you think that will be overcome in the near future or not and how it will be overcome. Okay. Do you want to go to 2016? Okay, 2016 to Germany again. Now 2060, I really don't know what, how it will be the <laughs> European Union in 2060. I don't know what it will be the UK in 2060. But I would like, I would like to, 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 to tell you how I would like to see 2060, supposing that uh, my prediction for the world will be the ones I have. That probably will not, be, will not really be realized. But I would like to see a European Union which will have uh, more members, more members, that they will not have to speed, if possible, that many countries will be converting at that time into the, into the single, that poses a very, very crude question, what is going to be the future of the United Kingdom in the European Union? But this is something to be discussed later. But I would like to see that, a strong elements of uh, communitarization, I don't like to use the word federal because uh, it, is, it spells uh, um, bad sentiment when you use that word, but as much as possible with a lot of commonality in the institutions. I think otherwise would be very difficult, but at the same time with a very deep process of uh, devolution. 
the evolution of powers to the nations and to the nations to the to the regions and from the regions to the whatever they have to do. So, taking responsibilities, the European Union as such, of those things at the level that correspond to the European Union. That is what uh, I would say. And I will, well, uh, the other things I've said, it, I, I think that uh, it will be an important player, measure with the, with the importance of the size, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, in a world in which uh, will be many other players much more important than the European Union, and in a world that will be very different from the world of today, we will not know what will be the most important country at that time, probably is, is China, the biggest economy in 2060. We don't know what will be the role of the United States at that time, probably recover because they have energy now, etc., etc. But we have to maintain the proportional role that we are playing when we were playing the very, I mean, reasonable role before the crisis. Now, on Germany, uh, I want to answer that question because this is, I like to, 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 to defend uh, Germany. Uh, I don't think that Germany shies out of responsibilities. And it doesn't do in international politics. They are not in the forefront of the, of the speeches or doing the theory, etc. But you always find Germany helping. Sometimes you even even notice uh, that thing of reading from the back that has been applied to the United States uh, was invented by Germany. <laughs> um, they don't want to be seen leading, but they do contribute always. And I, I have an enormous uh, number of occasions in which uh, I, could, uh, I could say that. And I think this is an intelligent approach. For the reason that you have said, and for reasons that other countries in the world uh, will, will agree with you. But uh, I don't think that Germany is shy in a way. I don't think so. I think that always when they are needed, they are there. They are not there in the manner that we would like to have it seen, but probably we will not see German troops outside the borders of Germany again. Probably. But that doesn't mean that you run out of the problems that exist in the world. They will continue contributing, contribute economically, contribute politically, being in the Security Council, which is not permanent member, but uh, is a frequent member in the Security Council. So I, I, I try to, to, to get uh, this uh, shine away image of Germany, uh, which is a lot of people want to place it. I just say two words. Well, I mean, what's good about the European Union is that everybody is different. And so eventually, and it's sometimes a bit laborious, when you reach a consensus, uh, it normally represents some kind of balance. And it's, not, and it's not bad. If you follow Aristotle and think that virtue is avoiding extremes, European Union does that. And that's because at one end you have Germany, which is cautious, and another place, France and Britain, which are aggressive, and somewhere else, Sweden and Ireland, who have a different view altogether. So these things actually end up sometimes, if you can make it work, with actually quite good policy. Um, but one just, one answer on the, on the dream. The dream of, of 2060, certainly I agree with Javier that it's enlarged. I hope that Ukraine is a member by that time. And I wonder if it will be... Well, I was actually more wondering whether Israel and Palestine were both going to join. 
I guess that Turkey, well, Turkey, Turkey is already some Turkey is already <laughs> there. Um, uh, the other dream I have is an earlier dream, and that is that people here should wake up and understand what they've got in the European Union. Okay, very good. The gentleman over here, then a gentleman at the front here. Yes, sir, please. Um, you already started answering my question. I wanted to ask you whether the um, European Union should grow while reforming inside. Uh, but because you already said that you would like to see the European Union bigger, and uh, Mr. Cooper, Professor Cooper said that he would like to see Ukraine as a member of the European Union. Next month in Vilnius, uh, EU is going to decide whether to sign association and free trade agreement with uh, Ukraine. And my question uh, to uh, Mr. Solana is whether it should be done. And to Mr. Cooper, um, are you speaking the same political language with current Ukrainian government? I mean, what the Europe is speaking. Does it need translation now? Well, I am very engaged. I have been engaged with uh, that country for a long, from the Orange Revolution. I remember those nights. I was the one, uh, together with the president of Poland at the time, that arranged for a repetition of an election, remember. Uh, in fact, the loser of that, well, the winner of that election was uh, overdid it <laughs> by the counting is the president, the actual president of Ukraine. So I have followed, I just have been in, in Yalta in a very important meeting there. The last meeting before the Vilnius meeting that you have mentioned. I think, as today, I think that uh, President Yanukovych will do what he has promised to me and to others to be done, which is to let uh, Julia Timoshenko out of the country, probably to Germany, and um, do doing that and doing some other three or four things that he has to do, I hope very much that Vilnius will be a yes to Ukraine on the uh, association agreement. This is an agreement that I started negotiation long time back and because of the lack of uh, capacity of the Ukrainian country politically, because it was a political fight among themselves, we have not finished. But I hope very much that this uh, this uh, month of November will be is signed already. I mean, it's, it's rubricated, but it's not signed. It will be signed. Okay. Uh, I've got a question at the front here. Alan. Alan's scared. Yeah, Alan. Hi. Um, I thought the debate was a bit flat and tired, and there seemed to be a very great lack of vision in it. Um, looking and listening to Dr. Solana, I got the impression it was rather like watching Count Berchtold uh, Foreign Minister of the Habsburg Empire in 1913, <laughs> perhaps in conversation with the editor of the Neufeld Presse. But the, the, the idea I got was that he was an urban cosmopolitan foreign spokesman for uh, a European empire full of larger and smaller countries, not very much economic strength, no real military presence, but imbued with the idea it was of world importance and it quite like the Habsburgs, looking forward to picking up a few more territories uh, whenever they came along. Uh, and this, it seems to me, gives the impression of uh, an institution that's already passed its prime, like the Habsburgs were in 1913. You're looking forward to the future. The chances are that Britain will leave the European Union in the next five years. Other countries may follow it. And it doesn't seem to me that you're prepared for this or that you've got any real idealistic alternative in mind. 
Instead of saying, I have a vision of a federal Europe with lots of young people jumping up and down at elections and you know, uh, new ideas for world policy, economics and new institutions, your vision seemed to go as far as the European elections of next year, which isn't very far away, and in which your scepticism will probably triumph. So, I don't know, I got the impression listening to this debate, it was all about an idea whose time had passed. Okay, so yeah, are you kind of yeah, managing sure. the decline of sure, an sure. Austro-Hungarian Empire? Sure, sure, sure. I mean, Effectively. Uh, I, 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 Without a vision. I am a, I mean, a, a great reader of uh, Joseph Roth, at the, the Radeski March, and, 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 and all these uh, this parts of history. But um, I come from a country that had nothing to do with that. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm a long time back, long, long time back. You bear, you bear no back. personal responsibility. I am a Bourbon now. I mean, <laughs> oh, but I come from a country that didn't participate in any of the big wars. We had been separated from the moments of more uh, impetus of the European Union. So difficult for me to transmit that, uh, that idea because I never lived it. I have uh, said uh, not much about the future, but I think I gave uh, two or three data which are important. In, in 40 years from today, the European Union will not have any member on the, on the big countries, which is a good, a good uh, example of what may happen, the members of the European Union. I said that we have uh, another G7 alternative to the G7 of today with countries which are emerging. So I, I gave a sense of how the world is going to be and the Europe I want to see is a Europe which is adapted to that reality, not a Europe which is adapted to the other reality. I want an, a, a Europe which is uh, creative, which is uh, uh, with the knowledge base, as we said uh, some time back, we have not been able to do it yet. But this is the type of Europe that I would like to have, which is nothing to do with the Habsburgs, to my mind. Do you, do you feel like an well, no, emperor, emperor I, on the end? I'm sorry that we haven't um, convinced Professor Skate of his books I admire very much. We'll try again better next time. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> do, we'll do a better meeting next time. Okay, right. um, did I have somebody over here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, please. Thank you. Uh, a question, age. Uh, for Dr. Solana, um, I can't remember who was it uh, that after a round of elections in the UK said, uh, the people have spoken, the bastards. And uh, I wonder whether, in a way, that might be the feeling after the next round of European elections. Uh, because European elections are famous for being uh, protest elections, second order elections, uh, where people vote against the government uh, from fringe parties. Uh, and so I wonder whether, uh, you know, what would you do once uh, that might be the option? And for Professor uh, Cooper, I would like whether you can spell more in detail uh, how a foreign economic policy for the neighborhood uh, would look like. Uh, because, um, you know, are we going to uh, offer more money? Are we going to offer more trade? Are we going to uh, provide more regulations and standards? I mean, we seem to have been trying all of these, uh, and I wonder <coughs> what would you add to that? Okay, there's two from there. There's a gentleman over here. Yeah, please. Yeah. yeah. Um, if little regions from Europe like Catalonia, Scotland, or the Basque Country go independent, are they going to be thrown away of the European Union? Right, so you've got a few small questions there to deal with. Uh, 
Who would like to start? Would, uh, uh, well, I think I should start. Huh? Um, I think that uh, what you have said is what I don't want to happen, as you have realized after listening to me. I think that the, the moment in which the European Union is living, the drama in which we are presented, if we don't get <coughs> things right, we may end it up with the European Union broken. And that has no many chances, but it has some chances. And that is what I would like to convey to you, personally and to others. The risk of that will be so dramatic, we still don't know it, but it may happen, by having a parliament which is, uh, as you have said, to the fringe of the fringe of the fringe. That will be with the treaties that we have in place and ungovernable European Union, because the parliament is co-decides co with, with the council. So, the important thing is to transmit to the citizens of the European Union, who have the right to vote, the importance of these particular elections, which will be really determinant of the future of the European Union. And that is the type of uh, argument that we need to put on the, on, the, on the debate. And that is the type of argument that uh, the Germans are putting on the debate, uh, when they debate publicly about this, but they debate a lot in the Parliament, a lot in the Parliament, more than other countries. So this is what uh, I like to, to, to say. And to the other question, I don't think that the region of Catalonia, the region of Basque country, will be abandoned in Europe, a spell for Europe. They will continue to be regions in the European Union. Uh, Robert. I, I think I answered the question I wasn't supposed to answer. First, on the European Parliament, I, I think this is actually a flawed institution. And it may well produce some very bad results as a consequence of that. And maybe this will be, give people a chance to rethink the institution, which, as I say, I, I don't think works. Uh, well, I say that with regret because I think the ideas were good and the people are good, but I don't think it works. But on the question that you asked, what should our policy be? The answer is the one thing in, in, in the, the Arab Spring countries. Well, it's very difficult to run somebody else's country. It's actually very difficult to run your own country. And most people don't do it badly, don't do it that well. Um, and I, don't be I believe that money is actually a very poor incentive. Trade is a better incentive. Um, uh, and what is really required in these situations is, um, and I come back to the politics, is actually what's required are relationships uh, that enable you to exercise some influence. But in the end, these countries decide their own fate. Um, uh, and one can do, you do your best to encourage them, to help them, and so on, because it really is important to us. This is, I think, the area that represents the, the greatest, I wouldn't want to say threat, but the greatest challenge to, to all European countries now uh, is, is, is North Africa and the, the Mediterranean region. But I don't think there's any simple thing, more money, more, more trade. I don't think these things do it. Actually, they have to do it. Uh, and can you help them? Well, you can try, but you don't always do it because it's not your problem, it's someone else's. Uh, Scotland and Catalonia, I, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I think we've got enough states and it's complicated, but I guess <laughs> if... If, if, people, if people want this, uh, 
then you probably can't stop them, but I think it's a bad idea. Okay, that's clear enough. Uh, the lady up there and the gentleman in the middle. Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, hi. I mean, we were speaking about the apathy. Could you speak up a bit? Yes. Um, I mean, the, we've been speaking about um, the European citizens that they don't want to vote and so on, but have the feeling sometimes it's more the governments. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of uh, people in Greece are more keen of uh, people from Brussels than from Athens, so Spaniards are, have more trust in Brussels than in Madrid. So how do you overcome uh, the own governments that are maybe not so willing to look at Brussels or to have agreements with other European countries? Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's just really to pick up on the point you made in your speech. Um, I've never heard anyone say this from Europe before, but the policy of, of austerity was wrong in dealing with the southern countries. Can you perhaps tell me perhaps what you would have done in that situation? and what you think, how it will affect the future of Europe from this point. And perhaps if you, I, I get the feeling that you feel uh, some guilt with those countries that might have happened with that following that policy. Okay. Uh, the, the question you, do, you ask, uh, let me see what, uh, I am from Spain, so I, I feel very, very solidarious with uh, Greece and the Greek, Greek people. And um, I know that it's very difficult, very, very difficult at this point in time for countries that do have governments or governments in which uh, the level of capacity the government have is very little because uh, some of the, of the decisions are taken at the level of the European Union and the people don't like those policies and then you are trapped in, in that situation. This is, this is the type of thing that uh, I like to change because I think those policies are wrong, the policies which are coming from the, from the from top to the countries. I think that uh, much more could be done in order not to have uh, such a dramatic austerity policy that go to countries like yours. And, um, and more can be done by, by institutions like the, the Central Bank and also by the European Union, by other institutions of the European Union, the Investment Bank, for instance. We have not done all this. They have not. I mean, I'm not in politics any longer. I mean, I'm not in any responsibility in the European Union. Uh, but I had responsibility in the European Union. And I think this is what, uh, what I can tell you. This is, this is uh, the reality today, which uh, generates this frustration of, of, of people that I mentioned. I didn't want to dwell on the frustration because um, I don't like to, do, to dwell on frustration, but this is a real, a real thing. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know if I understand well your question. Uh, I apologize to, to, to... I have no idea. History? No, what... Uh, <laughs> it's the wrong... I do apologize every day about so many things, but I mean <laughs> things that I haven't had responsibility, I have spoken about that from the very beginning, uh, at least in, this, in the quantity. I mean, the, I think that everybody has to do his job and nobody can be a free rider. The mm, global goods or the regional goods, or the European Union goods, which are public, uh, let's consider they're public, part of them, the risk of free riders is, 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 is very high. And I don't want to have free riders, so everybody has to pay his price. 
but uh, at the time and at the level that is possible to take it. You cannot do things which are the only way, that the only thing that have at the end is being worse off than they were at the beginning. So that cannot be you are in, a, in an organization which is supposed to be with solidarity. It cannot be. Or it is be, I have to apologize. Since I don't want to break it, I'm going to change it. I don't want to break it. I am a convinced European. I think that outside the European, the European Union, the members of the European today will be worse off. It's very cold outside the European Union. The European Union protects you. It protects everybody. It protects the Germans, protects the Polish, it protects everybody. And if we don't have, if we were not to have this institution, we would be much worse off. But I don't like it, and I, I am sufficiently knowledgeable of the European Union to criticize what I see is wrong. And some of the policies on this period of time, I don't think they have been right. But again, I don't, with that I don't want to do that uh, people can be free riders. Free riders in the European Union cannot be either. Okay? Robert, do you think to continue? No, I, I only just say that sometime someone in the European Union ought to look back at the story of monetary union and ask the question, how could we have been so stupid? That was the, there was a major design flaw in a major project. But, uh, and all the economists and central bankers and governments and everybody got round the table and agreed on this. It's fantastic. Let me, let me say a word in favor. Um, and I, I think I explained that at the beginning. The European Union has to govern, to be governed by consensus, by some kind of consensus. Not by unanimity, but by consensus. Okay? And at the time that we had to finalize with the Constitution the architecture, the architecture part of the, of the monetary union, it was not mature enough to do it. And you have two options. Continue and what it was mature to be done or stop everything. And I think the right choice was done, hoping that there will be another period of time in which that will be closed. What was the problem? Nowhere. In 2005, we were not a, we didn't see in the horizon a crisis of the dimension we have living in 2008, three, three years later. At least I didn't have it. I don't know if you did it, but I didn't really. And therefore, we thought that it would be another round in which this thing would be could be closed or close to finalized part of it. So this is the way in which the European Union has been constructed, but it will require from now on we don't have time to go so slowly. That is the lesson that I think we have to learn. The world of today uh, goes faster. A minute is no longer a minute. A minute is not 60 seconds, it's many more than 60 seconds, and a year is very short. When we are talking here, um, if you look back in history, two years ago, uh, two years and a half ago, we had a completely different situation in the Mediterranean. Absolutely completely different. Nobody would expect in two years to have that much, uh, that much things happening. So it's very fast. One of the things we have to be aware is that uh, history goes very fast and uh, we have to be much more capable to adaptations in a much faster. The world today is not the speed, it's acceleration. And we have to go with acceleration, not only with the speed. Okay, I've got, so I'm going to have two last ones. There's a lady over here and a lady over here. So these will be two last questions. I know a lot of other hands have gone up, but we've got to bring it to a conclusion. Yes, uh, thank on you time. for Please. mentioning, uh, Dr. Solana, the uh, southern sort of the Mediterranean. 
And uh, I'm happy to, to be, it's been a while, it's been a long while since I asked you a question. <laughs> And uh, it, 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 is, uh, it is certainly related to, to that part of the world. And uh, well, since for the past two and a half uh, years, almost three years, uh, we have seen, at least I have seen, uh, a series of, uh, I mean, inefficient, uh, a series of failures uh, from the European Union uh, uh, to seize the opportunities uh, uh, that have, presented, have been presented uh, in the southern shore of the Mediterranean with the Arab Spring. And it's, it's frustrating for someone like me who has been following the, the, this relation for, for so long to have seen, uh, I mean, I, I, can, I just cannot understand why. I mean, in the light of all the changes that everyone has always been uh, uh, waiting for, hoping for, uh, there was a come up, uh, uh, we, we, we saw as a response uh, a series of uh, inefficient and uh, 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 inefficient policies uh, and uh, failures in, in, in uh, uh, fr from, from, uh, from the northern side to, to communicate uh, in, the, uh, in the right manner and, uh, and lose, I mean, all possibilities of having a real influence. Now, nowadays, if you, if you realize, if you're certainly following, uh, there is very little ground that, uh, that, uh, that uh, could be used uh, to gain the opportunities that, we, that were missed in the past. There was a, a huge amount of opportunities and they were all missed. Okay, thanks so much. And the last question over here, please. Yeah. Uh, good evening. I would like to ask a question which concerns a lot of people at my age. Uh, what to do with the youth unemployment in Europe? Do you think that, uh, would you say that the European Union is doing well to, to manage this issue? And do you believe that in future, today's generation of young people could uh, become a lost generation if we don't act? right now. Thank you very much. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, we'll end on those okay. two great questions. Uh, on, the, on, yeah, on the Mediterranean, um, you, you know my, what, how much I've been engaged in the Mediterranean. The, 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 the Barcelona process, which I, I was under my leadership. And, um, but uh, let me tell you that I had m many doubts about uh, how to act. I think that uh, Cathy Asen went very rapidly to, to Egypt in particular. We didn't offer sufficient uh, help um, economically, and uh, we couldn't do more politically at the very beginning. Remember that we were, the, most of the countries of the European Union were the um, countries that uh, helped uh, some of the dictators to be maintained historically. You know? So we have to be very careful not to see that uh, colonialism was coming from the back door. So we did it very carefully. And with agreement with them, with the people of the, of the Tiger Square and then all that, we, we talk a lot and I talk a lot with all of them. So I, I think that uh, what we didn't do well, in particular with Tunisia, is to rapidly, immediately come with help. And, um, and we were not able to mobilize the IMF to do help as rapid as was necessary. In Egypt it was different because Egypt had some conditions that were more difficult to, to comply, particular subsidies and all that. But with Tunisia it was much easier to be done. And uh, well, I apologize for that. If we want apologies, I apologize for that also, really, because it's, it was a mistake. It was a mistake. But uh, we couldn't do much more politically because they didn't want uh, to well, let me tell you, I was uh, last night uh, uh, having a long dinner, and I probably will continue tonight with Mohamed El-Baradei, which is here. Um, Mohamed El-Baradei is a typical personality that was 
failing in both in every camp. No? <laughs> he was supporting the, the, the youngsters. Uh, he did not uh, go in the elections. Then he supported the coup or whatever you call it, and then he abandoned the coup. And he's now in London and, and talking to me. And, uh, when, when you talk to him, it, it, it tells you so clearly that you could not have done more. When I ask him, well, what? You could not have. I mean, we have, uh, we have to resolve that. We should. Well, the hardest you could have done is to have the IMF moving faster. Because we couldn't have uh, the, we have the instruments, economic instruments, yet we put the, the, the investment bank to the service of the cost, etc. Et but I mean, again, be careful with the, the sentiment, respecting the sentiment of many people that wanted to have a change led by them, not led by the old colonial powers, okay? And so, uh, with all the apologies, I think the essence of the action, I don't think, was a mistake. Now, um, what can I tell to a young um, European which is uh, underemployed or unemployed? Um, well, I have to tell you that the policies which have been done to maintain that level of unemployment probably are wrong. Are wrong. But um, I cannot tell him that he should lose faith in Europe for the same reason that I said before, that I think with a broken European Union, many of these youngsters will never find a job, or they will have to go to China, or they will have to go to India. And um, I think that uh, maintaining the Europe united is something that will benefit uh, the European youth, because it will be more freedom of movement, and the level of unemployment and employment will be shared between all the countries, among all the countries of the European Union. And it's better to be in the European Union than being out of the European Union uh, for people that uh, share a certain way of life, a certain culture, etc., etc. But uh, again, it's, uh, it's terrible. Uh, I cannot uh, uh, disagree more strongly with the fact that we have a level of unemployment, which I think is cause of bad policy. Not all of it, but part of it is caused or by bad policy. Okay, I'm going to draw the, uh, the proceedings uh, to a close just with a couple of announcements. Tomorrow night uh, we have a lecture here by Professor Tim Snyder. We, as you know, Ideas has uh, been having, uh, with great generosity, uh, Philip Ramon, uh, professor last year was uh, Anne Applebaum, and this year is Tim Snyder, who is a great modern historian of East Central Europe. And he'll be giving his first uh, Philip Ramon here tomorrow night. And then his, one of his predecessors, Ramachandra Guha, the great Indian historian, who is also writing, I think one, it, it sounds like two, but it could end up like three volumes on Gandhi. But the first volume is called uh, Gandhi Before India, and he will be coming back to launch the book. It's about his time in South Africa primarily, I think, but before that, in November. So just two announcements of the other things that we'll be doing in Ideas. As they say, nothing is free in the LSE, and I'm sure some of the students here know that. Um, but one thing is free, LSE Ideas Reports. So for those of you who did not get a copy on the way in, there is one on the way out. I'd like to thank you all for all your questions, particularly like to thank our two speakers. I wonder if you could put your hands together. <laughs>